Good morning. Um, I'm very happy to be spending my morning with you. I guess uh, many of you may not know, but yesterday is uh, International Day of Happiness. It's not a very much commemorated day. And if, if you come for uh, today's topic, When Life Falls Apart, I guess uh, you probably didn't know that yesterday was International Day of Happiness. Okay, let me uh, begin by praying for us. Father, we give thanks to you that we can gather here, Lord God, and indeed that I can preach for the first time without a face shield. This is truly uh, your blessing. Father God, we give thanks to you and that you want to reach out to us, that you have something specific to speak to each one of us. And we come in faith, knowing that we come to you by the blood of Jesus, Lord God. So we ask, God, that you truly speak to each one of us uh, tangibly, Lord, in a way that we can take something specific for our lives away. So Father, may we come alive, Lord, um, as a result of what you're doing in us today. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. So um, I think no one is really qualified. No one, no one wants to be qualified to preach such a sermon, okay? So I'm not uh, qualified to preach such a sermon on when life falls apart and what results from suffering. But I think, I think we can still count on God to speak to each one of us. And I'm going to speak today from the life of Joseph. And uh, I think there are two striking things really from the life of Joseph. The first is uh, how much... Um, uh, how, how much he seems to be so pristine compared to the rest of his ancestors. I mean, if you read the account of Genesis, it's quite traumatic to read that account because there's so much sin, so much character flaw, so much of weaknesses. But where Joseph is concerned, apart from his spoiled bread days as a youth, uh, he seems to be responding so well after that. Of course, that doesn't mean that he never rented at God. That doesn't mean that he never had to grapple with some of the struggles that God uh, brought him through. But uh, it still means that he has a very significant moments of victory. Now, the other striking aspect, apart from how holy Joseph seems, is also how much he suffered. Now, I guess if I ask some of us to name a book that is associated with suffering, we'll probably name Job. But uh, Joseph, actually, his whole life was one of uh, immense suffering, and each time, the suffering level seems to be upped, you know, for suffering from doing bad to suffering for doing good. So I think that uh, there's something quite instructive about his life. It's also an encouragement for us, you know, that we can see that some one under suffering doesn't need to resort to the pleasures of sin to de-stress himself, but instead, you know, he can still uh, let God prevail through him. Now, the other thing I want to say in preface of my sermon is uh, really that, uh, you know, Joseph is promoted to a position of great political power. And I guess for many of us here, we are not aspiring to that kind of position, nor are we going to see that in our lives necessarily. So it doesn't mean that Joseph's sermon, uh, Joseph's uh, life is not applicable to us because, you know, it's his life, I want to suggest to you, is not really about promotion to a position of power or even to a high position, but it's about what God does through a man and how a man begins to see his life through God's eyes. Okay, so I'm going to deal with uh, today's uh, sermon in uh, four parts. In the first part, I'm going to race through the account of Joseph's life. Okay, I'm going to take you through major highlights of his life. And um, this part is going to be the foundation for the other parts. So for the other parts, I'm going to be quite brief and direct and just refer to the earlier parts. So in the second part of the sermon, I'm going to be uh, talking about how God, um, God's curriculum or program for Joseph in that sense, what God takes Joseph through in the course of Joseph's life to make Joseph. And in the third part, I'm going to be talking about some parallels that we can see with Jesus, how Joseph is very similar to Jesus in the outcomes that are produced as well as in what God takes Joseph through. And uh, finally, I'm going to deal with some outcomes in Joseph's life. 
Okay, so let's uh, go through the first part. Now, Joseph was actually 17 when he was sold into slavery and he was 30 when he was promoted to a position of power. And it was some more than a decade before he was truly reunited with his family again. So of course you can, if you are a fast reader, read the account of Joseph's life in maybe an hour. But please take note when you read the account of Joseph's life that you can't, Joseph couldn't have just flipped to the end of Genesis to know how his life would have turned out. And Joseph can't just live his life in one hour. So actually when you read it in one hour, take uh, time to mull over what he exactly went through. It actually took decades. So how much faith and how grueling was it? I think you have to get a sense of this happening over decades. I think to understand Joseph's life, you have to understand the kind of family he comes from. I guess you know from interaction with people that sometimes you know it is uh, the interactions with family that, uh, that we need to understand to understand a person. So here, um, Jacob, uh, Joseph is the favourite son of Jacob otherwise known as Israel, who's the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Jacob uh, uh, was, had deceived his brother, cheated his brother of his blessing, his birthright, and then had to run away from his own brother in order to just escape the wrath of the brother. So Jacob ended up with his uncle. And uh, in his uncle's household, there were two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Now, Rachel was the younger and more beautiful of the daughter. And uh, Jacob, I guess, being kind of superficial, fell in love with the more beautiful one and uh, wanted to marry her. So he was willing willingly working for his uncle for seven years and then he got her hand in marriage, except that the uncle then cheated Jacob. So Jacob uh, uh, was given Leah during the wedding night instead. So he woke up the next morning beside Leah. I guess there was no electricity in those days. So after that, uh, of course, you can imagine that people in love and young are very, very distraught and poor Leah, you know. I mean, imagine if they, Jacob looks shocked to see her in the morning. I mean, how much she must have suffered. So it is in, in that kind of context that the marriage takes off. And I mean, if Jacob had had faced sibling rivalry in his earlier life. I mean, then he now faces, uh, I mean, Leah and Rachel might have had some sibling rivalry at, as well. And now he has to face the rivalry of his wives for his affection. Now, Leah had uh, several children because God blessed Leah with several children, but uh, Rachel had no children for quite a while. It came to a point when Rachel decided to get a surrogate to conceive for her. So uh, she got her maidservant to become uh, Jacob's wife and to bear children for her. Now Leah did the same thing after a while. And finally, Rachel had a child and the child was named Joseph. Now Joseph is not such a nice name actually in the context of how Rachel named Joseph because uh, Rachel was essentially saying, may God increase may God add another son to me. So rather than being purely happy for the conception of Joseph, uh, instead, you know, she was immediately saying, may God add, may God increase uh, another son to her. So of course, Joseph is born in that kind of context where there are lots of women vying for his father's attention. He is the favourite child. And then there are many other children. And there's, of course, an intense uh, sibling rivalry. Now, Jacob favoured Joseph so much that, you know, I mean, he should have known better in that sense. I mean, he had faced sibling rivalry himself, but uh, he gave Joseph a beautiful robe. And Joseph flaunted that robe, of course. Now, Joseph was also kind of a telltale. He would tell tales about his uh, brothers. And um, he also had two dreams and he was uh, acting in a pretty obnoxious way about those dreams. So, in, But I guess it might be some youthfulness, you know, of wanting to do better than your siblings. Maybe some of us have faced it before. Now, Joseph uh, uh, had this dream in which uh, there were bundles of grain. Uh, his was standing up while the bundles of the grain of the brother was uh, bowing down to his bundle of grain. So he kind of boasted about it and they resented it. Then he had a second dream in which the sun, moon and 11 stars that, representing the 11 brothers bowed down to him. So his even his father 
father was kind of dismayed by the dream and scolded him for have suggesting that he, his uh, wife, and uh, cho- uh, his children would actually bow down to Joseph. Okay, so these were the two dreams that Joseph flaunted. Now, one day, Joseph had to go to the fields to check on his brother. And uh, when he went to the fields, the brother saw that the dreamer was coming and they were thinking that this was an opportunity to kill him. So that was how much they hated him. So they threw him into a cistern and eventually some slave traders uh, walked by and they sold him into slavery. Now, uh, you, again, you know, when you sell someone into slavery, there's no GPS, no way of contacting some uh, social justice group to get you back and that kind of thing. Okay, so it's a permanent kind of selling. You know, you may even die on the way. So that's how much they hated him. Now, he was sold into the household of an official of Pharaoh in Egypt and the official, uh, we call him Potiphar. So Potiphar uh, saw that Joseph was very capable. Uh, God was blessing the works of Joseph's hands and so Potiphar promoted Joseph uh, in his household to take charge of many things. Now, Joseph is one of the four handsome men named in the Bible as handsome. Now, I, I think you shouldn't be too distracted by that and go and start Googling who are the other handsome men, okay, or start being distracted. But anyway, Joseph one of the four handsome men. And, uh, you know, Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph, maybe because of his capability or his uh, good looks, and she tried to seduce him. But uh, he was not to be enticed by her, so he responded correctly, except that, uh, you know, for a second time, the first time was when the brother stripped him of the coat and uh, smeared it in, in blood to... Uh, kind of lead Jacob, his father, to infer that, you know, his son must have been killed. This is the second time Joseph's coat, coat, coat is ripped off him. I guess, you know, what's with this man and his coat. But basically, his coat was ripped off him and uh, the, uh, it was used to frame him to suggest that he had tried to take advantage of Potiphar's wife. So Joseph was then thrown into the prison. But within the prison, again, uh, he was fruitful, he was uh, capable, and he was uh, spotted by the prison officer and he rose in the ranks. Now, one day, two of his fellow prisoners uh, had a dream and um, uh, had their separate dreams and needed interpretation. So Joseph interpreted the dream correctly. Now, one of them is the cupbearer of the pharaoh, and according to the dream, he would be released back into pharaoh's service. And uh, he, he was... Now, he's supposed to remember Joseph and put in a good word for Joseph, but he didn't do so. He forgot about Joseph until the day that Pharaoh had a dream. Now, Pharaoh had a dream and needed interpretation, so Joseph was summoned into uh, the court of Pharaoh. And after that, um, he interpreted the dream correctly. I mean, he interpreted the dream to the satisfaction of Pharaoh. And the dream was that there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of the entire entirety of Egypt and asked Joseph to uh, do whatever he saw to prepare for the famine. Now, Joseph then uh, stored grains and so on. And then when the famine came, uh, the brothers came to buy grain. So we are at this point in the story where the brothers actually approach uh, Joseph and bow down to him. It was at that moment that Joseph remembered his dream. Okay, so I have uh, some crying emojis coming up on this uh, slide because uh, basically the other striking thing about Joseph is how much he wept and how much the Bible recorded how he wept. I mean, the other person known for weeping, I guess, is in the shortest uh, verse in the English translation will be Jesus wept. And then, of course, uh, Jeremiah is known as a weeping prophet. But, you know, you go home and do some homework and mull over the instances when uh, Joseph wept and think about the nuances. I mean, why? What, what, what feelings were he going through that leads to the weeping? Okay, so it's kind of interesting because it suggests 
confessed that he was still having a very tender heart. He could be touched by God. Perhaps there was closure. Perhaps there was a lot of pain in that weeping. So each weeping may be different. So we are at this instance. Uh, let me find where, am I, where I am in the notes. Okay, so here uh, we are at this instance when the brothers are buying grain and he's kind of interrogating them. He doesn't know what they've been through in all these uh, years. Perhaps they are still the same. Perhaps they'll be out to kill him. Perhaps they'll throw him under the bus by saying something to Pharaoh. So he doesn't know. So he's interrogating them at this point. And here uh, we come to this verse. And it says, uh, Speaking amongst themselves, they said, Clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we are in this trouble. Then I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked. But you wouldn't listen, and now we have to answer for his blood. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. Okay, so why was he weeping? Maybe, you know, he's uh, suddenly aware that his brothers had not forgotten what they had done. Perhaps they, he's aware that, you know, they are, their conscience are being awakened and he's surprised at that. Don't know. Okay, the second time he weeps uh, in a major way is when he saw Benjamin, his uh, brother, who comes from the same mother. Okay, so that's the second time. Perhaps he's very touched to be reunited with his brother. Now, the, another instance when he wept was when he revealed his identity finally to his brothers. He revealed that he's really Joseph and he instantly assured them, don't be upset, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place for it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. It's God who sent me here, not you. Okay, and then when he saw his dad, Jacob, again, uh, tears of reunion. And uh, finally, after his dad died, the brothers really couldn't believe that Joseph had truly forgiven them. He, they thought that Joseph was Joseph might get back at them for something. So jo the brothers actually initiated more pleading for his forgiveness. Uh, but Joseph, again, was uh, very good. Uh, Joseph uh, essentially told them that, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's cool as far as it's concerned. You know, God has uh, been the one doing this. They intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. So Joseph took the initiative, actually, to say that he would not punish them and told them to come closer. So this is a man with a very, very tender heart. Now, I think that to understand Joseph's exemplariness under trial and to understand how Joseph received closure and healing from all these things, I think we have to see the full extent of the hardship that Joseph has gone through. I mean, it's not the way of the prosperity gospel where it's health and wealth, you know, if you follow God, every step of the way is health and wealth. It's hardly like that in Joseph. Now, I suppose some of us might be tempted to think that, you know, uh, you don't need to have suffering in order to be victorious. Now, if you think that way, I can guess that you're under 30 years of age. Now, Joseph had unimaginable pain and after that faced a great difficulty. So I just want to sum up some of the uh, hardships that he had to go through. So first is, of course, he had a pretty dysfunctional family. His family was really a mess. I mean, uh, his own mother died uh, quite early. She died when she was conceiving the second, when she was delivering the second child, uh, Benjamin. So he lost his mother and he had to grow up with all the other mothers and uh, so many, many uh, siblings who hated him. And then he had to live with the tense family situation between his own father and his uncle. They were, there was some conflict and competition going on. After that, his father had to leave his uncle and at a young age, he was going back with his father to the father's brother. And the father's brother might uh, react with wrath may be angry with Jacob, who knows. So he was living with that kind of insecurity probably on that journey. So apart from the sibling rivalry, there was really a lot that he was going through. Um, 
Now, Joseph hardly had a perfect childhood or youth. And one wonders, you know, who was the major influence in Joseph's life, really? Was it God directly? So I think that for some of us, you know, we really don't have a perfect childhood. And perhaps some of us are still reminded of the pain of our childhood, you know, what our parents or siblings did that to, did to us. But we, we can be encouraged that in Joseph's case, you know, it didn't result in uh, him not living his destiny. In fact, it was used by God. I mean, God probably really reached out to him and... Uh, in that sense, you can see that uh, when he reconciled with his brothers, with his father, there was no resentment at all. He didn't blame his father for having uh, maybe added to the sibling rivalry and so on. So you don't need a perfect childhood to live in your destiny. Okay, the second hardship that was uh, present in Joseph's life is uh, the lack of recognition by his loved ones where his destiny, his talents, his identity is concerned. You know, so there was no recognition. I mean, he's an administrator, a leader. He heard God through dreams. He was, inter he was an interpreter of dreams. But I guess, you know, when he told uh, his uh, brothers his dream, I mean, they cannot also be blamed for thinking the dreams came from himself since he was such an arrogant person. He was given that kind of quote, a person given that kind of beautiful robe and favoured by the father will of course have such dreams so that might be what everybody thinks now the father also scolded him although the father uh, pondered over the dream a little more than the rest now you can see that uh, I, I mean I suppose that for many of us as a, a sore point when growing up might be that you know we are not seen for who we are we may feel that loved ones have been dismissive of us you know of where uh, of something that matters to us now you see Joseph uh, maybe forgot about his dreams after all those years who knows because there's a precise moment when the brother Brother bowed down uh, to him in Egypt for the first time when scripture actually says, uh, and Joseph remembered his dream. So it might be that in those years he had kind of died to his dream, but God is faithful that when a dream really comes from God, God will remember it even when we've forgotten it. God is gracious enough to bring us into the fulfillment of the dream that comes from him. Okay? Um, the third hardship I think that Joseph went through is rejection. Now it's... Um, Unsurprising given the rivalry amongst uh, the various women and between Leah and Rachel, you can't expect that the siblings of, he, uh, of Joseph would uh, love him and plus he was acting in such an obnoxious manner. He was like the teacher's pet who's ostracized by the rest of the class. Uh, his father favored him in that sense. So he wasn't in the circle of his brother. So maybe that was why he also told tales about his brother. Who knows? Or maybe he was just obnoxious. Now, um, rejection in childhood by people that we love, people who matter to us, may be something that... Uh, we have suffered. And it may be something that people bring into their adulthood. Okay, it need not be from your siblings necessarily. It might be from even your classmates, your contemporaries, and so on. And you can see that uh, Joseph gives us hope because he's not permanently scarred at all by the rejection that he has faced. Okay, instead, you can see the tenderness of his heart. He's the one who reaches out to his brothers and say, come closer, despite the fact that they had wronged him. He's the one able to initiate that healing, that reconciliation. So, so with God, that's possible, and we, we're not hampered forever or permanently scarred by rejection. Now, the fourth hardship that Joseph had to go through was betrayal. You see, family is supposed to be a community that provides uh, safety and security for people, but often it is not. And here, you know, the family hated him so much that they betrayed him by wanting to kill him, and then it was only stopped by one of them, and then they sold him away forever. So this is the ultimate betrayal. They were prepared that they would never see him again, and they were ready to lie to the uh, father as well. So clearly, Joseph was much affected because when he had a family of his own and when had he, he had his first son, he named his first son Manasseh, which really means God has made him forget all his troubles and his father's family. 
So there was so much pain that he needed for that moment to forget. Now, the fifth hardship that Joseph had to go through is uh, being falsely accused. So it's one thing to have your rope ripped off by your angry brothers because you were a spoiled brat. Now, it's quite another thing to have your rope ripped off by a person uh, and when you're behaving in a holy manner and then to be falsely accused and thrown into jail. So this is almost a new level of testing from God. I mean, perhaps uh, some of us expect that if we follow God, then surely God will protect. Perhaps we think we have a legitimate expectation that God will protect. And um, in that sense, uh, we, we do well to remember 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, which says that it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So actually suffering for doing good is also par for the cause, it's part of our life. And um, actually the reply to Potiphar's wife is uh, reminiscent of um, when he resisted her advances. The reply is uh, reminiscent of what was happening in the Garden of Eden, John Lennox points out in his book on Joseph. Okay, because he said to her, you know, uh, only one thing has Potiphar withheld from me and that's uh, you. So, so he wanted to do right. And uh, that's actually uh, there's only one fruit that Adam and Eve couldn't eat but Adam failed. So Joseph passed the test where Adam failed and in a sense there's that reversal of uh, you know, failure. Now, um, the number six hardship, and I don't want to talk about hardship all the time, so I'll end with the number six hardship. But the number six hardship that Joseph had to go through was uh, being forgotten and forsaken in this sense. He would have hoped that the cupbearer would remember that he interpreted the dream correctly, put in a good word for him, but instead the cupbearer promptly forgot about him. So I think the question that might have arisen in his heart is this, you know, would his family have completely forgotten about him? Would they have moved on? Perhaps they, 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 they did not come and find him, they did not try to find him. Okay, so there are, there are certain parallels I'm going to draw with uh, Jesus uh, in, as far as Joseph's life is concerned. There's much in common with Jesus. So, of course, Joseph is the deliverer of his people uh, in a limited sense, whereas Jesus is also the deliverer of everyone. And... Um, Joseph had to pardon the sins of those who betrayed him. Likewise, Jesus had to pardon the sins of those who betrayed him. Now, the, in fact, the sins of those who betrayed Joseph became the means for their deliverance in the time of famine. And likewise, in the case of Jesus also, the crucifixion became the means to achieve uh, uh, our salvation. And uh, Jesus was humbled to the lowest point only to be exalted by God. And so likewise too for Joseph. So their sufferings are actually pretty, uh, their sufferings are common to both persons if you see. So the first suffering is Jesus was also unrecognized by his brothers, uh, by his brothers, by his own family. They tried to take custody of him. They thought he had gone out of his mind. Jesus was also unrecognized in his hometown, Nazareth. Uh, Jesus was also unrecognized by the Pharisees, by teachers of the law, and even John the Baptist at some stage asked, are you the Messiah or should I look for someone else? And uh, Jesus was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was, uh, had false witnesses summoned to make a case against him. Jesus was rejected by the crowd who preferred the release of this uh, true convict Barabbas to Jesus. Okay, and then the last cry of Jesus is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So there is common suffering which leads us to uh, think, you know, to what extent is such suffering meant to be common for all of us as well? Okay, if suffered by Jesus, suffered by Joseph, should we be expecting this as well? And how do we deal with it? Now, what are the outcomes in Joseph's life? What did God achieve through the hardship that can give us encouragement? Now, the first outcome, I think, is how striking uh, Joseph is in his exemplariness. Now, the first, uh, I mean, I mentioned several things that are striking. The first is uh, Joseph's purity. Okay, in all his stress, uh, he didn't give in to temptation, especially that of Potiphar's wife. If he had been 
been pragmatic if he had justified himself by thinking that he was he would never get out anyway, you know, who's to know and that kind of thing. But he was uh, he remained pure. And then he also had gratitude. Of course, Potiphar's goodness to Joseph is uh, as it's an imperfect goodness, as is the goodness of many people to us. You know, it's an imperfect goodness because Potiphar, maybe, you know, he should be, have more advanced thinking on slavery, you know, he should release the slaves and so on and so forth, but he did not. But he was good to Joseph, but perhaps in quite a pragmatic way as well. Joseph was very, very capable. But Joseph could actually find, you know, space to be thankful to Potiphar and say that, you know, he's been good to me, how could I do this? And then Joseph was very resilient because uh, he was uh, conscientious enough to be noticed for his capabilities wherever he was, which suggested that he was really a, a diligent kind of person apart from the favour of God shown to him. Now, Joseph also had a tender heart. I think that you see no bitterness or resentment uh, in Joseph. Now, of course, he tested his brothers, but he needed to because there's that gap, you know. He doesn't know what they've gone through. Uh, he doesn't know whether they, they have changed or not. So I think that interrogation of the brothers is, uh, is kind of normal. And I think Joseph showed that there was no bitterness or resentment and he took the initiative to draw his brothers closer. Now, I think the second outcome that we can notice in Joseph's life is that there is a blessing, it's one of blessing mixed with adversities. Now, contrast to the prosperity gospel on the one hand, which is all blessing, and on the other end of the spectrum, it is the idea of trials, trials and hardship and no victory at all. So it's not like that, it's actually a mixed bag. Okay, so amidst the adversities, you could see that God was blessing Joseph. He was fruitful. And I guess the question to ask ourselves is, what does it mean to be fruitful in our afflictions? How can we be fruitful even if we are going through hardship? God intends for us to be fruitful and will help us, you see. Now, the third uh, and important uh, thing I want to end with is this. Now, Joseph's life, you know, what is the moral of the story of Joseph's life? I mean, is it um, uh, persevere and you will be promoted? Now, I think some of us, um, maybe prom sec promotion in the secular sense is not intended for some of us. Um, so it's, I think it's not as simple as persevere and you'll be promoted. Is it hold on to your dreams and your dreams will come true? Again, I think that's uh, too, uh, I mean, apart from being cliche, it's, uh, it, whether your dreams will come true or not depends on whether the dreams were God-given or not. Okay, so it's not as uh, simple as that. Now, is it just uh, the very, very hard lesson of, a uh, hard to solo lesson of uh, always just do right no matter what you face? I think that would be to simplify the story of Joseph also. Okay, so I think that uh, the story of Joseph is meant to tell us that, you know, if we press on in God, you know, actually uh, we will be able to understand our lives through God's eyes. Our lives will be lives that truly count for eternity and God will sovereignly achieve that even as uh, we go through the various hardships. But what matters, what really is critical to bringing closure at the end is the fact that actually uh, we can see our life at the end through God's eyes. Now, I think the central message of Joseph isn't about the promotion or rise of Joseph. So first, I want to highlight that you see God provided for Joseph in so many ways. Every wrong done to Joseph became that critical move uh, that moves Joseph into his destiny rather than away from the destiny, even though it might have seemed otherwise. So for example, when the brothers uh, sold him into slavery, how is his dream ever going to come true? He's cut off from his brothers forever. So he should move further away from the fulfillment of the dream, yet he only moved closer because the dream was meant to be fulfilled in Egypt. Now the second uh, wrong, um, he's rising in an official's house, maybe he should continue rising, then he will be released or something like that. But instead, he's thrown into prison, but yet it is only in the prison that he meets the cupbearer. Now, 
again, you know, the cupbearer should have remembered him, then he would be released. But if he had been released because the cupbearer remembered him too early, then he would be released into I don't know what, and Pharaoh cannot find him. Maybe he would not be remembered at a critical time when Pharaoh needed the dream interpreted. So he's released only, he's remembered only in the critical time when Pharaoh needed an interpreter for the dream. So Joseph can confidently say, seeing how all these wrongs done towards him uh, became moves that move him into his destiny, he can really confidently say that uh, truly um, people intended evil, but God used it for good. So God also gave him encouragement along the way. He was exercising his gifts. He was interpreting dreams. Perhaps as he interpreted the dream of the cupbearer correctly, he should have known. He should have known that um, maybe his dream one day will come true too, but perhaps he might have been too discouraged at that time. Now, uh, God also uses uh, hardships to prepare him. I think the critical thing we want to note is that Joseph never lost the plot. Uh, he had faith every step of the way. And uh, in the end, you know, God could have achieved uh, deliverance from famine in any way, but God chose to achieve it through Joseph and um, the, he, God works with the free will and the wrongs that were done towards Joseph to achieve his purposes. Now, I think that Joseph's story, and I'm going to end, I think maybe people are nervous about the time running out, the time has stopped. Um, you know, uh, where was I? <laughs> Okay, I think that uh, if we think that Joseph's story is about promotion, then I think Joseph would not really find closure at the end, you see. Because uh, if you look at the way that Jacob uh, talked about his sons at the end of Jacob's life, um, you know, Joseph, has a, Joseph is a prince amongst his brothers. But from Judah's perspective, Judah is the one from whom the scepter will not depart. Judah is the line from whom the Messiah will come. So, you know, if we keep thinking about wanting to be better than our contemporaries, better than the next person, wanting to go step ahead, wanting to be promoted, wanting to be first, and so on, if we keep thinking that way, wanting to be ahead of others, then Joseph would not find closure because, you know, his position was uh, not really preeminent in that sense. Okay, so the reason Joseph can find closure shows us actually that the story is more than about Joseph's promotion. It's about Joseph understanding finally that you know all these things were necessary if God chooses to work through people and through their wrongs to, to feature in God's plan. Okay, so I guess I want to close by just praying for, for us in a few minutes. And um, uh, I, I'll just pray for two groups of persons, okay? One, uh, maybe you feel that your life is really on hold. And uh, you feel that it's just been hardship after hardship and what for. Okay, so I'll pray for, for this group. And I also pray for people who uh, perhaps you, your heart is so hard now. You don't have a tender heart unlike Joseph. So maybe I'll pray that God can just uh, soften our hearts. Okay, let's pray. Father, we give thanks to you for your word. And we thank you that your word is always practical, is always relevant. It always uh, truly applies for our present circumstances. Lord God, we thank you that your Holy Spirit can show us how your word applies for our life. Father God, I lift up to you those of us who may feel left out, left behind, uh, stuck in hardship, in a freeze frame. Our lives are not moving. Our lives are on hold. Everyone else is moving ahead. We have been forgotten. Lord God, we look towards you. We pray for this group. We look towards you for your deliverance, that truly you are the only one who can make sense of our lives. You are the one who can bring closure. You are the one who can let us see our lives through your eyes. So Father God, we pray God, 
for this uh, supernatural understanding. And we pray that you will always give us that, uh, that resilience to uh, press on even while we're waiting. And Father, we want to pray also for those of us who have hearts that have hardened in the cause of all these hurts that we have faced. Lord God, would you just tenderize our hearts, soften our hearts, Lord God. Uh, let us see that you can help us cope with the pain, to overcome the pain. You can apply your healing balm and we can uh, not fear in having tender hearts, in relating with people with love and initiative. So we give thanks to you for all that you desire to do in our lives and you desire to do through us. That at the end of the day, you're not just calling us to use us for a particular ministry or for your plan but you want to make sure that we do not lose the plot that we do not lose our reward so we thank you that so great is your love for us that above all our relationship with you matters more than how we are used thank you God in Jesus name Amen You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.